Hey, welcome to Bayou City. You can have a seat. And as you're sitting down, tell somebody, I'm glad you're here. So we're starting a new series this morning uh, called Together. And we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about the things that we do when we gather together. We're going to look at questions like, why do we share communion together? Why do we have a time of giving? Why do we open up the Word of God every single Sunday? Why uh, does God give us spiritual gifts And today we're going to ask maybe the biggest and most simplest of all of the questions. Why do we gather at all? What is the purpose in our gathering? When most of us think about church, we are thinking of a spiritual business that offers spiritual goods and services. People have spiritual needs. The church is provided to meet those needs which means that we are spiritual consumers. But when you read the teachings of Jesus about the church, those teachings don't sound like a spiritual business. When you read his specific word to seven specific churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, those churches don't sound like spiritual businesses. When you read the Apostle Paul's words to some specific churches, like the church in Corinth, the church of Colossae, the church of Philippi. Those churches don't sound like they should operate as spiritual businesses. And when you read the stories of the very first church in the book of Acts, those churches don't function like businesses. And the people definitely don't function as consumers. So we want to turn the corner today with the scripture to move from being consumers to being contributors, from consumers to contributors. Now, if you're a sports fan, the word contributor means something to you because on every team you have people who are on the team, but they never play. They never see the court. They never see the field. uh, They never get in the game, and they sit as far away as possible from the coach. If the coach is here, their spot is way over here. They never take their warm-ups off. They don't put their batting gloves on. They rarely wear their helmets because they are never going to get in the game. And then you have people who get in the game, but just barely and not in a meaningful way. And then you have the contributors. The contributors play a lot. The contributors play a role in the victory. They affect the outcome of the game. And what the scripture is going to teach us today is that you are a contributor at the church and you actually affect the outcome. That today you affect the outcome of whether this is a good Sunday or a bad Sunday. That you have a role to play even just being here. Hebrews chapter 10, one of the more compelling verses about the church gathered together. It says in verse 23, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, what is the day drawing near? It's the reappearance of Jesus. The whole New Testament was written in the shadow of Jesus' reappearance. They all had this knowledge. 
that Jesus was born of Mary, lived a sinless life, offered that life on the cross for sacrifice and atonement for our sins, was resurrected three days later, made many appearances, and then ascended into heaven. But when he ascended, he made a promise that he would return. And all of the New Testament is written underneath that shadow, in that light, in the knowledge that Jesus was going to return. Therefore, all of our lives should be lived in the shadow of Jesus' reappearance. This is something that you should think about every day. It's one of the more important things about you that Jesus is going to return. There will be a day when your faith will be sight. The thing that you have believed in with your soul for so long and has been of utmost importance to you, it won't just be by faith. You'll actually see it. Jesus told us in the angels that appeared after his ascension. He, we know where he will first touch down, right outside the city of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. There'll be a moment when that happens and somebody pulls out their phone and there will be Jesus. Descended down. It's going to happen. And it's both thrilling, a little terrifying, and mostly surreal that we really will see him, that he really will reappear and return to us. The day is drawing near. So the big question then we ask, okay, well, when is that happening? People have been asking that question with a lot of intensity for many years. In fact, as you know, in the 1970s, the best-selling book of the 1970s was a book about this topic. Not just Christian book, but of all the books that were written in the entire decade, a book called The Late Great Planet Earth was the best-selling book of them all, and it's about Jesus' return. People have been intensely inquiring about when, how will we know. Even the disciples did this. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus makes some statements about his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his return. And so his disciples come and they ask him, tell, tell us, what are the signs? How are we going to know when all of these things are getting close? And he really has one summary word for them, tribulation which is not incredibly compelling to us. That's not the word that we're looking for. But that, nonetheless, that's what he told his disciples and is still telling us, this is how you know that his, his day is drawing nearer and nearer, that he is going to reappear. Tribulation will get worse and worse and worse. In fact, he describes it uh, as a woman giving birth. She's in labor. There's pain. There's tribulation. There's trial. There's toil. That is how you know that the day is getting closer. Tribulation. But at the same time, at the same time, we're seeing the kingdom of God revealed in great power and goodness. That's what we are experiencing now. In, in my opinion, and that's not worth much, but in my opinion, I don't think that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world has ever been stronger than it is right now. More faithful, more alive, more vibrant, and at the same time, it has never been weirder to be alive on planet Earth. It just feels, feels weird. Right? In this political climate that we're in, we think we get it all figured out, and we've read enough on Facebook to make an informed decision, and <laughs> we got it all arranged, and then we read another Facebook article that comes through and makes us reconsider the whole thing all over again. It's just weird to be alive right now. And we're seeing and experiencing this collision. The kingdom of God revealed with power and goodness. 
And the day is growing dim and dark and evil. Tribulation was his word. And it says in verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope. What's the confession of our hope? That in the middle of this weird moment we are living in, when all is said and done, Jesus wins and we are saved by him. That all who believe in his name will be saved. That he wins at the end of the day. This is the confession of our hope. That he puts an end to all this weirdness and all this evil and all this darkness. This is our hope and that we are saved along with his reappearance. And how does it say that we hold on to that confession of hope without wavering, it says. This is the goal. This is the goal of church. This is why we gather. So that you and I, we can have an unshakable and unsinkable faith. This is the goal, without wavering. Because maybe you're in a moment like John the Baptist. And your story right now is one of unfulfilled longing and desire. You remember John the Baptist? Jesus said, of all the people who have ever been born of a woman, no one's greater than him. God raised him up, appointed him from inside his mother's womb to be the one to set the stage for Jesus' ministry. And he went in there and he blazed some hard ground. It was faithful. You know where his faithfulness caused him to end up? Prison, death row. And so he sends coded language to Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus, I'm here in death row. Don't forget, I was super faithful. I did my job, played it perfectly. Coded language, come and get me. Jesus' popularity was growing and growing and growing. His influence had never been greater than at that moment. And Jesus sends coded language back to John the Baptist. I am not coming. unfulfilled longing. Maybe that's your story right now. Can you have an unsinkable and unshakable faith without wavering when unfulfilled is your story? There's a lady in the scripture named Abigail, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Abigail's story was one of being stuck. She was stuck married to this man named Nabal. The Bible described him as a worthless fool, evil and harsh. And here she was married to him. Maybe that's your story right now. Stuck. Stuck in this marriage, stuck in this relationship, stuck in this family, stuck in this job, stuck in this city, stuck in this neighborhood, stuck in this conflict, stuck in fill in the blank. Can you have an unshakable and unsinkable faith without wavering when your story is stuck? Or Joseph. Joseph's story was one of setback after setback after setback. The favored son of his fathers, his brothers hated him because of it. And they decided, let's kill him. And so they prepare to kill him. And one speaks up and says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's compromise and just sell him into slavery. And so he's sold into slavery. He ends up a slave, but's promoted within the house that he works. But then he's falsely accused and he's thrown into prison. Promoted inside the prison. Still in prison, but promoted then he's forgotten about. Setback after setback after setback. Maybe that's your story right now. Setback. Can you have an unshakable, unsinkable faith without wavering if that's your story? In the midst of tribulation, will you have an unwavering faith? Because that's the goal. And Hebrews chapter 10 tells us we cannot accomplish that on our own. That you need the people next to you right now to accomplish that mission. Turn to the person on your right and left and say, I need you. That's why today we need to turn the corner 
from consumer to contributor because we need every person's contribution. A few things I'd love for you to write down that will help us turn that corner according to Hebrews chapter 10. First, I'm concerned about someone else. I'm a contributor. I'm concerned about someone else. Verse 24, and let us be concerned about one another. A consumer is only concerned about themselves. That's the hallmark of a consumer. Yesterday we drove home from Florida. We spent the week there and stopped for breakfast at a Whataburger because God has anointed a few things in life and one of those <laughs> is taquitos. So we stopped in. My preference is the taquito with cheese, the potato one, which is just a hash brown eggs, cheese rolled in some form of bread. Amanda is a sausage and egg and cheese. And, and, and so we popped in there to order food and ordered it. And they give you the little triangle number. You know what I'm talking about? It sits right there. We were number 21. And I turn around after paying and I just scan the restaurant. I got some time. Waterburger's never fast. I'm scanning the restaurant and I look from the left. Triangle number, triangle number. Triangle number, triangle number, triangle number, triangle number, triangle number, triangle number. The whole restaurant, full, only one table eating actual food. Everyone else waiting with their triangle number. And so as the minutes passed by, I inched closer and closer and closer to the kitchen just to offer my help. I know, I know how to make it. It's eggs. You didn't even cook those. Those are frozen in some truck, and they deliver them to the back door. Slice of American cheese. Let's get this thing going. I can do it myself. Closer and closer. 30 minutes later, we walked out with our food. And I complained, and if I asked one time, hey, uh, number 21, where am I at in line? I asked a million times, that poor little girl behind the, the counter. And listen, not one time. In all of my waiting, in all of my complaining, in all of my bitterness, not one time did I think about the person making my food. I wonder what time they got to work today. I wonder if their day is just starting or it's getting ready to end. Not one time did the, the, little, the little young man who's uh, mopping up the spills, did I even, even think about going over there and, and saying, hey, man, what's your story? Are you in school and working? Are you trying to do college? Are you just trying to make it with this job? Like, what's your deal? Are your parents still married? Tell me about your home life. Not one time, the person flipping the eggs back there, did I think about how much money they have in their bank account and what keeps them up at night. I didn't think about anybody else the entire time that I was in there. You know why? Because I was a consumer. And consumers, we think about ourselves. That's why we need to turn the corner from consumer to contributor. We have to be concerned about other people when we come to church because we need one another. See, churches have big front doors and back doors. People come in the front door. You came in the front door. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically here just so we're all on the same page. Right? Somebody invited you. They called you. They said, hey, would you come to church with me? There's a new thing happening. or I think you'd really like it. Would you come to church? And you come in through the front door. But every once in a while, somebody just slips out the back door. 
They don't feel connected. They don't get connected. They kind of come sit. And, and for whatever reason, they just slip out the back door. Now, sometimes you have people who yell and scream out the back door. But mostly just, just people just slide on out of the back door. And it's one of the goals of, of a church to have a big front door and a very, very small back door. So as few people as possible slip through. We're five years into this little experiment called Bayou City Fellowship. We're five years in. We have our fifth birthday coming up in September. And here's what I've learned. Thank you very much. A couple people excited. Um, You're like, well, not this campus. This campus is only two and a half years old, so who cares? But uh, five years in, five years in, and here's what I've learned in five years. There's one group, they do not slip out the back door. And that's the group who goes back and holds the front door open so that more people can come in. The people who are the least concerned with themselves and the most concerned about other people, those people never slide out the back door. So today, you, you may be that person that you, you just come and you sit and you like it. You don't have any complaints, but you don't know anybody's name and, and they don't know your name. And Maybe over time, you start drifting towards that back door. What about if you just went back and held the front door open and said, hey, come and be a part of this with me. I think you'd like it. The best way to be connected to a church is to be concerned at church with somebody besides ourselves. I'm concerned about someone else. I'm turning the corner from consumer to contributor. I stir up love. Number two, I stir up love. That's what he says. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Now that word promote, your translation of the Bible may say spur on. So Spur on one another in love and good works. Now, when we think of spurs and spurring on, we think of horses. If you've ridden a horse before, somebody told you the way to, to get the horse to move is to give it a little kick in the ribs. And, and they told you, hey, don't really hurt that horse because it's so big. But I think it probably does. That's why he moves, because it hurts. I don't want you punching me in the ribs, so I assume that a horse doesn't want you punching it in the ribs. Uh, but that's how you spur it on. You give it a little kick in the ribs. And that's why those things on boots are called spurs, because you make the horse move by doing that. But there is a kind of horse that does not need to be spurred on. If you've ever gone up to the mountains in Colorado and uh, done a trail ride before, of course, I'm using quotations, right? Uh, you, you show up to the trail ride and you go in, you check in and, and you pay your money and then they take you out by the stable and they start sizing you up and then they bring out a horse just specifically assigned for you. A few years ago, Amanda and I were in Mexico, and we went on a trail ride, and, and they brought me my fine horse. Its name was, was Machete. Machete uh, came out, and he and I, we locked eyes. We were going to be good partners that afternoon, and, and so I got on Machete, and everybody else got on their horses. The guide got on his horse, and the guide started taking off down the trail. We were headed to the beach, and, and I didn't need to do anything because when the horses started moving, Machete just, just lined up, and, and the whole time that we were on that trail ride to the beach... He just had one mission, and that mission was to get his nose as close to the rear end of the horse in front of him as possible. And he didn't deviate from it. Just followed that rear end the whole time. Well, after a while, that gets kind of boring. And I'm thinking, I'm paying for this experience, so maybe I want a little variety. So I start trying to pull him left. I mean, there's no path. I just wanted to take a few steps to the left just to say that we did this, that this is a real horse and not a robot. And I'd try to pull him left a few steps, and he'd shake it off. And, 
and just stay right there with his nose in the rear end of the horse in front of him. And so then I try to pull him to the right and he'd shake it off. And you try to slow him down to put a little distance in between you and the horse in front of you so you can kind of gallop back to the rear end of the horse in front of you just for variety's sake. And, and he'd shake it off when I try to pull him back and slow him down. We get to the beach and we have a little moment where you get to swim and have a little snack and they corral the horses. And after that moment was over, 30 minutes or whatever, they start pulling the horses back out. And so here, Machete and I are reunited and I get back on. But he had a different pattern for the way home where he moved super slow on the way there. He moved super fast on the way home. And we're passing everybody. I mean, we're passing people. We're passing the guides. We're passing ATVs. I mean, we're (laughs) passing. And I got to act like I know what I'm doing because, well, that's the kind of person I am. I act like I know what I'm doing. And so, yeah, this is fun. This is fun. But you don't have any control of the, the animal. The only way that he stopped was he got back to the place, went through the corral, and found his stall. And we, he walked in it and stopped. And I got off. Trail ride was over at that point. <laughs> See, a horse like that doesn't need to be spurred on. Because he does the same thing every day, twice a day. Every morning, trail ride, and he walks slowly to the beach, following the rear end in front of him. And he waits for a little while, and then he moves very, very briskly back to his stall. Because every day, twice a day, when he gets back there, he gets to eat. And this is what he does. Listen, there is no greater rutted routine than the routine of a Christian on Sunday morning. Some of you, you don't even know really how you got here. You just put it in autopilot and here you are and you're checking your watch going, I wonder what time we're going to get out today. So it's 11. I mean, maybe we'll be finished by 12. That would be fantastic. And, but you know what's happening. You know what's happening next. And when you're stuck in that rut and routine, There's no thought of being spurred on because you don't need it. You don't need to be spurred on. When was the last time that you were encouraged, built up, inspired, spurred on? Because this is what we're supposed to do for one another. So spur each other on to love and stir up, it says. We're supposed to stir up is another way to translate that word promote. Stir up. Uh, stirring up means there's movement, there's energy, there's life, there's unity all around love. I don't know when the last time you messed around with a balloon was, but there's a, uh, well, it's a scientific fact from the Enlightenment that whenever there's a balloon in the room, you have to start batting it around. You can't help it. If it's lying there, then somebody's going to start doing this. And they're going to start like this at first and just, yeah, I'm talking to you and I'm just bouncing the balloon. And about bounce number 10 in a row, then it becomes a game. Then it's like, well, how many bounces can I get before it hits the ground? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're seven years old. It doesn't matter if you're 70 years old. You're going to pick up a balloon. You're going to start doing this. And about bounce number 50, other people in the room start going, hey, I want to be a part of that. And you're hoping that the balloon kind of comes over to you so you can show your skills. And 
And so now we got a couple of people involved in this, and, and then somebody, wise guy, starts taking big chances and hitting it up and, so they can dive, and you know, we're batting it around. Then you get this, like, energy, this, like, momentum about it, right? Like, yeah, okay, like, some of you are even with me right now. You're like, yeah, come on, get it. I'm not even paying attention to what you're saying. This is amazing, right? Some of these front row people, they're like, bat it over to me. I got, some, I got skills. I need to show off right now, right? There's energy, and now we got this common goal, and we're all together in it. And then the third person in the room starts being a part of it, and the fourth person, and everybody in the house starts playing this game. You can't help it. I mean, it's mostly men, let's be honest, but sometimes the ladies <laughs> get involved. Right? It's exciting. It's dumb, but it's exciting. It's simple. This is what a great church feels like. It's simple. Listen, some of you are intimidated by... Uh, this whole thing because you're not a church professional and you own a Bible and you flipped it open one time to, and you landed somewhere weird and you didn't understand any of the words. This is, this is so simple. We got one mission. There is the greatest person who has ever lived and he wasn't just a person. He was the son of God and we follow him. That's it. He says to go to the left, we go to the left. He says to go to the right, we go to the right. He says to go forward, we go forward. He says to stop, we stop. He makes a move, we make a move. That's all we're doing here. So if somebody told you church is more complicated than that, then they are a liar. So simple. But it's kind of exciting. And when it's good, you start going to uh, people, hey, you should come with me. Hey, get in on this. You see your neighbor in the driveway on Saturdays. You're like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? You should come with me. I think you'd like it. Start calling up family members that haven't been to church in a long time. What are you doing next week? Man, my pastor, he's kind of an insane person, but uh, <laughs> you should come and check it out. Start meeting people at the grocery store. Their countenance is all down instead of just going, well, they must be having a hard day. You say, hey, are you okay? Hey, you should come to church with me. My countenance gets down sometimes too, and it makes all the difference. You see people sitting on the outside kind of waiting. They just come and you're all connected because you've been playing the game for a long time. But they're new to the room, and they look longingly like, I want to be on the inside of that. I want, I want the ball to come over to me, but I don't want to jump in there because I'm kind of shy, and I want to be well-mannered. And, and you go, hey, you guys who sit in the back, don't sit in the back. Come sit in the front. Get in here with us. There's all this movement and unity and purpose brings us all together something so simple and so exciting stir one another up to love but the book of proverbs says that a perverse man he stirs up dissension that's when gossip and malice slander and hey did you know did you know Game over. Game over. When that sneaks into the church. It's not fun anymore. There's no life in it anymore. There's no trust in it anymore. There's no bond in it anymore. But we're church people in a rutted routine. So across America today, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came together in buildings that looked a lot like this. And they started batting around, doing all the hand motions. But there's no balloon 
There's no love. There's no unity. There's no movement. There's no momentum. Because they started eating one another from the inside out. Still doing the motions. It looks like church. Dresses like church. Acts like the church. Not the church. If you don't leave today more stirred up to love one another, this was not the church today. It was religious practice. Blech. Stir one another up to love, not dissension. Now listen, you need that. We need to hold our tongues because over time, if you're in the game long enough, you need time and space to be faithful and to fail and to be redeemed. You need space for all that. If we journey together long enough, we're going to see each other be incredibly faithful to get it right, to get it perfect. Jesus says do this, we do this. But if we journey along with each other long enough, we're going to see every one of us miss the mark, fail, fall. But man, thank God. He gives us grace through the sacrifice of Jesus and forgiveness can come to us and we can be restored. But when gossip and slander and envy and bitterness and pride and arrogance and malice and all that, when it sneaks in, there's room for the faithfulness and there's room for the fall, but there becomes no room for the redemption. Because when you fall, you know everybody's talking about you. You know that the word has spread So what happens is you fall at one church and you have to go to another church to be redeemed because you feel embarrassed and ashamed. But a true church gives a space for all of it. So so don't slander and don't talk about one another. Why? Not just because you're not supposed to, but because you're stealing somebody's comeback. You're stealing somebody's opportunity to be redeemed and restored. There's many people here today, and, and that's why they came to church today, because they were faithful, and then there was a fall, and they're looking back up to that restoration, and they want it so bad, and they're just asking, is this a safe place to find it? And if we are the church that Jesus, is, Jesus imagines us to be, then there will be space for the whole thing, and we will all need it at one time or another. Promote love. I stir up love. Next, I stir up good works. I stir up good works. Promote love and good works. You remember Jesus' prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're working towards. The days are growing darker, but the saints are getting brighter. The world is getting dim, and we are becoming more useful. We stir one another up to good works. The church is at its best when it's asking you to be at your best. Bare minimum has never looked good on anyone. And laziness is contagious. When I offer my least to the church, it gives other people an excuse to offer their least. And then we just start competing with one another to see who can offer the least at church. But bare minimum does not look good on you. 
What the church needs is not the leftovers of your life, but the best of your life. It doesn't need the leftovers of your schedule. It needs the best of your schedule. And when even half the people of a church offer their best, it will be an unstoppable force in their neighborhood. We offer our best. And when you offer yours, it encourages and stirs someone else up to offer theirs. I stir up good works. Next, I am present. I am present. It says, and let us be concerned, verse 24, about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do. As some habitually do. Laying out of church is addictive. It's addictive. And if you've skipped a couple of times, you know that it is. And we should just be honest and say that it is. Because it's easier to not come than it is to come. It's easier to not go to Bible study than it is to go to Bible study. It's easier to not serve than it is to serve. It's easier to not go to community group than it is to go to community group. That's why Jesus said, listen, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Because it's easy. And narrow is the road that leads to life. And few find it. It's easier to not come. But there is a scriptural expectation that you would. There is not a world in the Bible that would give you and I that many excuses to not be here. Now listen, we all travel. We all have to go see Nana. We do. Nana's wonderful. We got to go see her. There's no doubt about it. You need to go on vacation. You need to do that. You should. It's great. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you come on average once a month, you can't be a contributor if you're only here once a month. And you want to be a contributor. So I'd encourage you when school starts in a couple of weeks, oh, that sounds bad just to say it, but when school starts in a couple of weeks, we all get a fresh start. It's like a blank page. If you come on average once a month, I'd encourage you to come twice a month. If you come on average twice a month, I'd encourage you to be here three times a month. And if you come about three times a month, I'd encourage you to just go ahead and make the decision right now. If we are anywhere in the vicinity of Houston, Texas on a Sunday morning, we are at church. Just go ahead and make that decision now because you can't contribute unless you're present and we're turning the corner from consumer to contributor. And finally, I encourage. I encourage. Not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. That word encourage, it's like calling someone over and using your words to strengthen their faith. A few years ago, my son Jackson and I, we were in Los Angeles. I wanted to visit a couple of churches of pastors that I really look up to and respect. And so we went to one on Saturday night in Orange County. And Orange County is not that much different than Houston, Texas, except for the weather is way better. (laughs) But it's a very church place. It wouldn't be unusual for somebody who lives in Orange County to go to church. On Sunday morning, we went to a church on Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood and La Brea. It was a great church, much smaller there, but a vibrant, alive community. And a lot of young people uh, were there, and they were all working, or it seemed like they were all working in the television industry, the music industry, or the movie industry. And these young people, and they're trying to make it in Hollywood. That had been their dream, and that's what they were trying to do. And at the same time, follow Jesus. And you could tell, even though the church was not incredibly large, you can tell it was incredibly meaningful. Because they're all working in these vocations that don't encourage their faith. So they come on Sunday morning, 
to stand shoulder to shoulder with other people who believe. And you could just see them soaking him in. Like, I believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus? Yeah, you believe in Jesus. Okay, we both believe in Jesus. We got a room full of people that believe in Jesus. We can go back into these vocations and try to make it and be faithful at the same time. They needed it. They needed it for their souls. See, the reality is you're gonna wake up some Sunday morning and you're not gonna need it. Your soul's gonna be fine. You can say, well, I'll catch the podcast later on, get the sermon then. I can find all the songs on my iPhone. I'll be fine. And that's true. You will be fine. But what if someone else needed you to be here? Yeah, maybe you didn't need to be here today. Your soul would be fine. But what if someone else's soul would not have been fine had you laid out and missed? It could have been your word of encouragement. It could have just been your simple, I'm glad that you are here. That changed the course for them, lifted up their countenance in their head, caused them to come back one more Sunday. So yeah, we come to church because we need it but we need to shift our thinking that we come to church also because someone else needs us to be here to encourage, to build up, strengthen. And the reality is, is your vocation eventually will not be conducive to your faith. You got that little plaque on the wall right now that says me and Jesus and work and it's awesome. It's the cross, it's good. You bring your Bible to work, you set it out on your desk you may get some compliments about it tomorrow. There'll be a day when you don't get any compliments for plopping your Bible out. It's where your vocation is headed. It's where your school is headed. It's where your neighborhood is headed. We may not feel like we need one another today, but there will be a day when you will need to stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody and say, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Okay. I can do it for one more week. We're turning the corner from con- being consumers to being contributors and look at how he finishes and all the more as you see the day drawing near all the more in tribulation or prosperity what does it look like for you to contribute all the more all the more you're already contributing all the more you do a little bit all the more you come some all the more you serve some all the the more. All the more. Let's pray. Let me just take a second in the quietness of your own heart and mind and ask God, what does all the more look like for me? to contribute all the more. Just spend a second, see if God brings anything to mind. And if he has brought something to mind, would you make that commitment to him now? I commit to all the more. unstoppable force we would be. We could be. 
to lead us in that way. We pray that you would make this church everything, everything that you have dreamed, hoped, led, guided, bled for. Make us a church of contributors. In Jesus' name.